Good morning, everybody. I, was, I had my head down there. That, I think the sound is, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I want, it, it's kind of a, a bit ahead of time, but on Tuesday the 13th, not this coming Tuesday, but the one after, there will not be class uh, here. That's the only class that I'm actually referencing. I don't know why I'm so bad at announcements, but that's the way it is. Uh, yeah, we're going to be camping that weekend, so uh, we're getting back on Tuesday, and I'm not going to rush down here to do a class. I won't be ready anyway. Uh, but So, yeah, there's that, and uh, I have a number of uh, people to, to add to your prayer list, and um, if, you, if you do have prayer requests for us, uh, our Zoom meeting on Friday has turned into, has become a, a prayer gathering as well, so we... Uh, and and the the people who attend that are uh, they pray quite a bit. So, um, De- uh, we have, uh, Alan's wife Deb. Her father went home to be with the Lord uh, just a bit. Was I not supposed to announce that? Yeah, <laughs> too late. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, so keep uh, that family in prayer, uh, Deb Wilding, and uh, we're. Keep praying for Roger Bennett. Roger has uh, been shipped out of the hospital to rehab, and uh, he'll be, hopefully, pray for him to get his strength and so he can come home. Uh, Also, Kathy's sister-in-law, Carla, uh, has just been faced with a medical diagnosis that is of a major quality. So keep Carla. So we have uh, Deb's dad, Roger, Carla, and also David Massey, who is uh, a friend of a member of the congregation here is getting a, a heart procedure, a surgery done next week, this coming week. Uh, and I, I, he was a chaplain for Linfield. Is that what you said, uh, Ken? Yeah. So, uh, so please. So we have uh, Deb's dad, Roger, Carla, and David. Uh, so, and if you uh, again, if you have prayer requests, you can just email me or go on the website and get in contact with us, and I'll I'll add it to our list. And on Fridays, we'll we'll pray f- for those people. All right, let's open up in prayer. Um, we've got, we're only going to do two songs today because we're showing a video. Uh, and the video will come after the two songs. And then uh, after communion, I thought we would sing a final song after we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. So we'll give that a shot. So let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the opportunity we have, the privilege that he gives us to gather together and to worship him out of love. And our love is shown to him by loving his word and uh, praising him for the truth that he has through faith that has given us and thanking him for his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for your yourself and all that you have done for us. From before the foundation of the world, you have chosen us. You have elected those who would believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, you had planned for your Son to become the Savior of the world through an unbelievable act of love that would sacrifice Him on our behalf. We cannot imagine, Father, the amount of pain and the amount of sacrifice and loss that there was to Him and to you and to the Spirit for that event. Yet, we rejoice, as all of heaven does now, as the God-man, the Jesus Christ, the Lord, your Son, sits at your right hand in heaven. And we long to be with him. And we know, Father, that through your truth and your promises that we will be. And so as we, we respond to you in faith, Father, based upon what you tell us is true, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have made it so that we participate in that love by loving others in the same way that you have loved us. And so, Father, we, it is the most challenging of things to do. And yet, you have called us to do it. So, as we grab hold of the future, Father, and long to be like you, when even before we're with you, we ask that through your Spirit we would come to know and see you today even more, and that we would love to worship you together in song, and as we celebrate the uh, event of the Lord's Supper that you've given us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please.
shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. Snow wall, you won't kick down. Fire, you won't tear down. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, Chris put that together some some time ago. And um, if you didn't know, that was little Maggie in the first picture. She was happier than she is now. Um, so um, the theme, this, this actually is our theme today, which is God's love, God's agape love, which is what you see there depicted on that. Um, the word... <clears throat> the refrain or the chorus in this song is the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. And that, of course, is a parable. Uh, we looked at that parable this week of how absolutely reckless it was for, uh, would be for a shepherd to leave 99 sheep unguarded just to go get one. Uh, if in the ancient world, while you're part of the, the work of a shepherd is to protect the sheep from predators, if you leave 99 alone, they're exposed. And so when Jesus tells that parable, he's making a point of that, that the love of God is nothing that is calculated. It is nothing that is merited. It is spontaneous. It is undeserving. Uh, and we, it's, if we ever forget that, uh, and and here's a, so here's where we're going with this today, and which we started to talk about on Thursday, is <coughs> if um, if uh, if the uh, we the love that God has for us now has to be given from us to others, and it, it cannot be changed in any way. Uh, we're very good at that. We're good at taking the love of God and kind of modifying it so that it's uh, more easier or more legal. Uh, and I, I think that's the term that is used uh, quite uh, well here is that we calculate it's a legality. So we look at someone and we look at another person. We say, well, you deserve this much. You deserve a little more. You deserve a little less. And it's all based upon your history and who you are and what you've done. And, and you know, we're willing to give 
and hold back, you know, and so we calculate. And so Christ tells the parable of the vineyard owner who pays everybody the same whether they work 14 hours or they worked one hour. And it's <coughs> it, it rubs us the wrong way. We're like, that's unfair. And the love of God is unfair. It has to be. You're saved. What in the world is in you that makes you worthy of the salvation of God? I mean, none of us. So as he says here, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Uh, <coughs> sorry. When Paul speaks, so uh, go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. <coughs> Alan, if you could turn me down just a little. And I'm sorry, I know I keep doing this. Ta- yeah, there. that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. When Paul speaks of agape in connection with the cross or with justification, you know, Paul writes a lot about agape. And we're going to focus on the New Testament today. Uh, and our main passage in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, uh, Paul commends the Thessalonians that the fact that their love is superabounding this agape love that Paul mentions, the other writers as well, Peter and John. And in connection with the cross or with justification, his thinking is essentially God's love. It's not any other kind. All right, so if we're, now we're used to this, but if we can imagine that Paul, this great apostle, would consider, well, you know, there are other kinds of love that I should teach the people of God. There is not. There is one kind, and that's what's taught. It's God's love. <coughs> but Paul speaks of uh, love, agape, in another connection. And he speaks of it as the fulfillment of the law. That agape is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I, I, I hope in your mind you're saying, wait a minute, Jesus' cross is the fulfillment of the law How is agape fulfillment of the law? Well, we say tie it to the cross, but that's not what Paul is writing about. Paul is writing about us loving others. And he says it is the fulfillment of the law. So that we attempt to unravel. God's love is to be in the Christian and expressed to all others. Friends, lovers, your closest people, the ones you like, the ones you don't like, your enemies. Right, really, we can define agape in us by loving our enemies. And loving our enemies, Jesus didn't leave this up to us to say, all right, loving my enemy means from afar, right? You throw in that, I always love the impersonal word, right? It's impersonal, it's unconditional. I never really use the impersonal word. And uh, the, the reason being, I think we can all figure out when we have to separate from others. Sometimes you have to. And that's definitely the impersonal part. But I think for us, we can take that impersonal part a little too far and say, well, you know, that person I don't have to deal with. And and we call it God's love. And we better be clear about that, you know, before God. You know, did Jesus exercise impersonalness, I guess, to others? No, uh, 
what's he doing with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those who in Israel were on the absolute bottom rung of society? What's he doing with the lepers and those who were cast out, with the poor, with those that people hated? He went right to them. And they said, well, that's God. Yeah, now it's you. <laughs> sorry to break it to you, but now it's you. I'm not sorry because this... When you grab hold of this and meaning that you're actually going to start living it, your life is going to change in leaps and bounds. Paul has a surprising and startling change of emphasis. Here's Jesus now. Look at Matthew 22:35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, "Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law?" And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus tells us here, and the emphasis is certainly on the love of the Father, the love of God by the saint. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is the first and foremost. But when we read the New Testament, we find that there's a surprising and startling change of emphasis. There is. Jesus in the Gospels emphasizes love towards God. We get to the New Testament and the emphasis by far. Now, I'm, I'm saying here, underline the word in your heart, emphasis. We have to ask ourselves, is it emphasized for a reason? That the emphasis in the New Testament is love towards neighbor, by far. With the word agape. Paul rarely speaks of agape in the sense of us to God. Very rarely. And here they are. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's agapao. And those who are called according to his purpose. Secondly, there's only four of them. 1 Corinthians 2.9, And all that God has prepared for those who love him, not entered into the heart, the mind, the soul, all that God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 1.8, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. <clears throat> and then in Ephesians 6.24, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. And there you have it. Now, certainly, is Paul saying don't love God? Obviously not. That would be ridiculous. But this is what he writes about it. And so we say, okay, okay, that's cool. I mean, if it's there once, it's there. But when we start to read the rest of the New Testament, we see that it's over and over and over. Love for your neighbor. Even after a long time studying the Bible, we are shocked to discover that concerning love, Paul's emphasis is different than our Lord's. We wonder, and a lot of scholars do this, is Paul different from the Lord? Is Paul, you know... Creating his own religion, almost. With Paul, the commandment of love for one's neighbor decidedly takes first place. And it turns out it's the same with Peter and John. 
right? If you read their books, you see it's love for love for others, love for others, love for others, do for others. It's others, others, others. Now, and it's it's over the top more frequent than the mention for love for God. So go to Romans 13. Now, remembering our Lord said that the love for the love for God and the love for neighbor was the fulfillment of the law. What did, he didn't say the fulfillment of the law in that passage. He said, "On these two commandments depend the whole law." Romans thirteen eight. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, and there's a bunch more, it is summed up in saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So, when he's talking about the fulfillment of the law, he's left out, it seems, right? The first commandment. Jesus said it's the first commandment. And it's almost as here Paul left it out. Has he done so on purpose? Or, you know, what is he after, I guess is what I'm saying. And and we all have to do this. If we're going to understand the scripture, what we want to do, and this is what our minds do, we come to it with the notion that we've already know this, and we're going to look at it and say, well, well, I'm going to come up with an explanation why, you know, love for God is not here listed as the first and foremost commandment in fulfilling the law, and then move on. And when we do that, we miss it. And we don't want to miss anything. But we have the confidence to know that whatever God reveals in his word is precisely perfect. All right? It's inspired by God, is it not? So the word of God is inspired. It's sufficient. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything extra. It's all right here. Very quickly, so you don't have to take my word for it, Love for others, Galatians 5, 13 through 14, Ephesians 1, 15, Ephesians 4, 2, Philippians 2, 2, Colossians 1, 4, Colossians 1, 14, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 3, and I did not include Peter, some others from Paul and Peter's and John's, which are would be another dozen at least. And you know, compared to four passages that speak of love for God, using the word agape now, we're, we're focusing on agape. Uh, yeah, it's definitely decidedly more towards neighbor. All right, so maybe it's just the way it is and it means nothing, right? Or maybe this emphasis is for a reason. Paul's famous definition in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, and so on, that's towards others. You're not patient with God. (laughs) Are you kind towards him? It's not like he needs that, right? So that love, uh, where we define it, is towards others. And the whole New Testament is a definite expression of agape on the side of man towards his fellow man. We're further intrigued by the fact in the Old Testament that love for God is definitely emphasized over love for others. This is the love for neighbor is the second commandment. The Shema in Deuteronomy 6, the love of the Lord your God, which Jesus quoted there, we just read in Matthew. 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The Jews said it every morning. And I don't think it's an accident that Paul writes agape in the context of our love for others. Uh, more so, much more so. So since the love of God was shown to the world in Christ, uh, and we need to always remember this because as we're going to love our neighbors, we cannot, as I said before, redefine what that love is going to look like. He ate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. The prostitute that wept on his feet and dried them with, his, with her hair in Luke 7, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Because you loved much. In the ears, right there, sitting next to her, was a Pharisee by the name of Simon, who loved little. He said, and this culminates in the cross. He's hanging from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Dying for the sins of the whole world. The love of God is shown to be reckless, unmotivated. For the whole world now. Reckless, unmotivated, spontaneous, uncalculating. And doing for all, no matter who they were, where they came from, or what they've done. Everybody. Taught so beautifully of our Lord in his parables. The lost sheep, which is what that song is about. Left the 99 to get the one. The lost coin, the thoroughness of the woman to find her coin. The thoroughness of God, which is also in that song. Climb any mountain, knock down any wall to come to you. Uh, <clears throat> the prodigal son, the sower, oh, by far most of the seed goes to places where it doesn't grow. Uh, the, uh, the sower, the forgiven slave, who would not forgive his fellow slave, and the vineyard workers. God's love is not calculating, is not legal, as our human love is always legal. Mankind is accepted, all of us in an uncalculating, unmotivated, spontaneous way. <clears throat> As Back to the song. When I was your foe, your, still your love fought for me. Right, died for, and that's in Romans 5. So look at Romans 5. A few passages this morning. Go to Romans 5. For while we were, uh, verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, God died, Christ died. God died. I think I said that, made that same mistake this week. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Those words echo through the universe. Unbelievable. What are we in this passage? Well, in verse 6, we're helpless, which is a word for weak. What do you got going for you? Nothing. <laughs> what else? In verse 8, we're sinners. In verse 11, we're enemies. And somewhere here, we're ungodly. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, okay. My yeah. There it is somewhere. <laughs> Sinners, weak, ungodly, God's enemies. Every one of us. In this passage, the helpless, the godless, the sinners, the enemies of God are the ones for whom Christ dies. How could we say that God's love considered what was in man? And you know, and for those who teach a limited atonement, this is where they go. And and you know, for there are many fine theologians who teach limited atonement and. Uh, you know, and their doctrines are good. They believe in Christ. Uh, their gospel's right. I mean, they teach faith in Christ. They just think that God only died for those who believe. And, and in my book, it's completely wrong that Christ died for all. That that is right. That Christ died for all. And I and I I find that in that they turn usually those who are limited atonement go the path of lordship salvation, and you can see that. You know, there's no room in their theology for the loser. There's no room in their theology for the carnal believer. And I'm not a proponent of the carnal believer. I have been a carnal believer, and it's no fun at all. Don't do it. If you want to feel the love of God in a painful way, be a carnal believer. You'll feel it. If you want to fail at almost everything you do, be a carnal believer. If you want to lie to yourself and have no real solid relationships with people that are built upon virtue, be a carnal believer. Because that's what you're going to get. God's very clear on that. So, is agape... Now that We know this, right? This agape love. Now, is it fitting... A word for our love towards God. All right, before you uh, throw your answer into that, we can talk some more. What is agape? Spontaneous and unmotivated. Do you love God unmotivated? Do you love God spontaneously? Do you love God because of who you are? Do you love God because no one else would love him? (laughs) No. Agape, in its strictest, purest definition, would not apply to God. But yet, it's used. The four passages that I showed you earlier. You know, all things work together for those who agape God. So, there's some unraveling to do there in that passage, but I'm not going to unravel that today. What I want to look at today is, by far, overwhelmingly by far, the New Testament talks about agape towards others, and we will see how that wonderfully fits with exactly what agape is. When it comes to God, you know, I only love him because he first loved me. You love God because he's awesome. You love God because he saved you. You love God because he's gracious and merciful and has forgiven you of all of your sins. You love God because he's wonderful to you. Now, if you apply that same logic to people, well, then you're going to love like maybe one person and even them not all the time. 
Does it apply to God? So if we give ourselves to God, you know, and say, God, my life is yours. Do with me as you will, like the Apostle Paul did, like all of them did, the heroes in the Old Testament and New. I give you my life as God in heaven saying, did you hear that? That Joe gave me his life. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Thanks, buddy. No. God's like, well, duh. Hey, I gave you your life, and then I gave you your new life, and then I gave you everything. So what are you giving back to me? Only what I've given to you. Like C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, it's like the kid going up to their dad and saying, Dad, can I have ten bucks to buy you a birthday present? And when dad gets the birthday present, he's not in debt to the kid. Our only worship of God is nothing but a response ever. We love because he first loved us. Our love to God is at best a reflex towards God's love, that love he had towards us. So it's motivated. It's not unmotivated. So when Paul and the other writers of the New Testament speak of our relationship to God, they emphasize another word over and over and over and over. You know, and as I'm, I'm reading about this in a wonderful commentary that I love so much, you know, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat reading about this. I'm at a point where I hope maybe you are, and I'm like, well, what? If it's not love towards God, what is it? And it truly was, like right on the next page. And then I see the word pistis. Because the, in this commentary, he bolds the uh, Greek words. And I'm like, oh, of course. What uh, New Testament writers emphasize our faith towards God well over and above our love towards God. And, I, and it's the way we think, you know, I think like this, I'll be like, well, so wait, wait, are you saying that I'm not supposed to love God? I'm supposed to just believe in Him? And, and you know, that's, uh, I was like, no, slow down. Don't, don't jump to conclusions before you learn the whole thing, right? <laughs> well, of course you're going to love God. But remember, our love is a response God gives to us and we respond in kind. Think about it. When he says, forgive one another, he says, as I have forgiven you. He's always telling Israel that you are holy to me because I am holy, right? And he says the same to us, 1 Peter chapter 1. Be holy for I'm holy. It's always a response to him. And that's what faith is. Faith is a response. All believers have entered into God's love, and God's love is poured out within them. And then God says now, so you've been the recipient of my love, my reckless love. You've been the recipient of it as an unbeliever who could do nothing to warrant my love for you. But now that you've entered into my love through faith in my gospel, I want you off of the sinner's bench. And I want you in the game. So, well, you didn't tell me that, God. Oh, yeah, I want you playing. I want you on the field. I don't want you sitting on the bench as an observer. I want you now, the love that I've given you, I want you in the field loving others as I have loved you. And how in the world am I going to do that? 
You see, what the New Testament writers did here is quite brilliant. They didn't tell us, don't love God, nor did they leave it out. They just emphasized over the top when it came to agape for our neighbor. None of us can say that our agape is healthy and intact if we don't love our neighbors. I say, well, I love God, right? But I, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't, and, and we'll see that coming up, the Paul there is not, nor anybody talk about self-love. That's not found in Christianity. But, <clears throat> you see, we can't confidently say we love God and then we don't actually lay down our lives for others. Now, look, I'm not saying you don't love God. And plus, it's not up to me anyway. All right? so, but it's, you know, you, if, you're, if you're going to be someone who loves God, you can't say, I, I love you, God. Therefore, you know God's love. You are in God's love. And his love is agape love. There's no other kind. And that is... To give it all away. And I said, wait a minute. I ain't giving it all away. What happens when you give it all away? They take it. Don't they? So we, all of us, the walls go up. I'm same. I'm same as you. Walls go up. Shields go up. Yeah, like, well, I would grow up a Star Trek kid. So Kirk would say, shields, Sulu, shields, right? We put the shields up because we're not, you know. I mean, I'll love, don't get me wrong. But give it all, give it all. Mm-mm. Agape is a love of others in the very same manner that Christ loved us. And it's truly brilliant what the New Testament has done here. If we don't serve others and give to others, even our enemies, to the unlovely, right? When we calculate before we do, when we do not do just because love is, agape is, I should say, then we don't have the love of the cross, which we just read in Romans 5, Paul equates the cross with God's love. He makes them equal, and, uh, you know, whatever your view is on this, or ever willing you're far to go, how far you're willing to go, I should say, that, that's between you and God. But I know this, I see this calling. And it's Christ telling us to be just like him to everybody. Agape is the love of others in the very manner that Christ loved you. So, it's not at all that Paul is getting rid of the love of God. Of course not. But he's giving the love of God its proper term, faith. Don't you believe him because you love him? Right? You haven't seen him. You haven't seen one miracle. I mean, of the material kind. You haven't met God. You haven't heard his voice. You know, why do you believe all that he says? That's because you love him. 
So faith is the perfect word for this. I respond in faith towards God. All right, let's see this. Go to Luke 17. I laugh because, oh, God is just so stinking smart. Um, he gives us what we need. I, I, currently, um, I'm, I just had, did this week, I had a, I'm taking a course in the Old Testament, and I had to do Leviticus this week. Woo! Who loves to read Leviticus? Ah, tell me more about that burnt offering there, Moses. That's a good one. Uh, oh, it's grudge work. But yet, there's something in there because it is so enamored with the holiness of God and how we're not holy, but yet God has made it so that we can, quote-unquote, enter the tabernacle. For us, it's all of us. Tabernacle represents heaven. In Israel, it was a little box called heaven well called tabernacle but it's heaven's what it represented and god made it so that we could go in there but how did the priest go in there if he didn't bring blood he's dead in fact, you know, I'm reading about how Aaron, they, they, they ordain Aaron. Aaron's ordination is seven days long. For seven days, it's, he's, in the, he's in, he can't leave. He's all dressed. He's anointed. There's sacrifices every day for him. And, and then the people bring their sacrifice on the eighth day. So on the eighth day, the people, the nation of Israel bring their sacrifice. Everybody sacrifices to God. And when that final offering is on the altar, fire from heaven comes down and consumes it in front of everybody. And what does that say? That the holiness of God is satisfied, that propitiation is satisfied with that offering. Then all the people shout and fall down and worship as they would. Now Aaron had, multi, had four sons, two of his sons, a couple little idiots, who thought that they would go, and it seems to be on the same day, that they would go in there with their own kind of offering. We don't know what they brought, but it's called, quote-unquote, strange. It's unholy. And they brought this in there, and they were like, yeah, let's go. They're probably all caught up in the fervor of it. I don't think they were trying to be brats. It, just, it seems that they were like, hey, let's offer to God. But they, and then probably one of them's like, well, what are we supposed to bring? And the other one's like, ah, it doesn't matter. And so they, they just put whatever in their fire pans and they go in there and they've got the wrong stuff. And the, here comes the fire of God again. Lo and behold. But it doesn't consume the offering. It consumes the two boys. Aaron lost two sons that day. Broke his heart. Why did God do that? I am holy, and you will treat me as holy. I don't play games. I'm, not, I'm asking you not to play games with me here. 
So if we try to change agape to fit what we think makes sense, I'm not fire from heaven's not gonna, I, I've done it for years. I haven't gotten. I've been burned, but not by God. <laughs> but I've been disciplined for it, and I've seen the results of it. I mean, now looking back, you can see the results of me or you and not loving the way that you should have and the hurt that you've done to people in yourself. The the trail of destruction that's back there. Thank God God says forget what lies behind. Just reach ahead, man. Just reach ahead. If agape is now trying to... If, if God is busting through the armor that you've put up that has put that has been made of some kind of human love let him be set free and we're still scared and so Jesus now in Luke 17 the Lord taught his disciples the great magnitude of forgiveness He said to them, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and repents, forgive him. So this means that the same sin by the same person seven times. And you're like, dude, I mean, after the third time, I'd be like, can you go away? You know, but he's like, if they return to you and ask for forgiveness, you forgive them, you forgive them, you forgive them. Their response of the disciples was increase our faith. You see, our... Faith towards God is a love towards God. But it's a receptive love, not a spontaneous one. We receive from God and we love Him in return. And I say I love God, but I don't do what He tells me to do. Just reevaluate. I love God, but I, you know, I don't really believe all that He says. And, you know, none of us are going to say that out loud, but you know in your own behavior and actions and thinking, well, just reevaluate. That's all. Do you follow him? Because, again, this is no joke. This is this is our eternity is based upon this, not not getting into heaven. But, you know, we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So. It's important. If it's important to God, it's super important. So the disciples say to Jesus, increase our faith. He says to them, it's, and you can look at verse 6 there, Luke 17, 6. If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And a mustard seed is tiny, and we, you know, he makes, they know this, and we know this, so uh, he's making it clear that it's, it's not the magnitude of faith that you lack. It is faith in the right object. Faith in God, even a little, is faith to say that what he says is true. Now, I may falter on it at times and maybe a lot of the time, but I never in my heart say this is untrue. You know, I must always follow. And if you have that attitude, you will. It might take a while. But you will. If you have the attitude that says what God says is absolutely true, I believe that in my heart, and though I don't always follow it, you will. God doesn't, God doesn't uh, you know, 
God calls us. <laughs> you know, God calls us who don't get it right. But if we want to get it right, we will. So he says you need faith. Now, notice what his response was not. He didn't say, well, it's not faith that you need, it's love. He didn't say that. He said increase our faith. He's talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness of someone who has hurt you seven times. Same person, same hurt, seven times in a day. And the Lord doesn't say, no, it's not faith that you don't. It's not faith that you need. It's love that you need. He doesn't say that. You need faith. Very little, but you need faith. You need faith in the right object. And then notice what he says in verse 7. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down and eat? But, he will, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, if you, if you do all the things that are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves and we have done only that which we have ought to, do, ought to have done. Now, this is immediately after he tells them that you need faith of a mustard seed. And then, you know, and their question was, or their, really their commandment was, to increase our faith. So, what is he doing here? Basically, he's telling them, look, if you faithfully follow me, your master, then all of these things will come to you. In other words, you want me to love as you love. Well, how am I supposed to do that? And he says, follow me. But where are you going to take me? All our questions, where are you going to take me? How long is it going to take? What do I have to do? And blah, 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 blah. He's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. What about John? Follow me. It'll all make sense. But while you, how do you follow him? I am an unworthy slave in the master's house. Now, what happens to slaves who do the master's will in the master's house? And I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ's house. Do we not all live there? Yes, we do. If you're a born-again believer... You are in the house of God. In fact, you comprise it. You're one of the stones in the wall, which he is the cornerstone. So if we're in the house of the Lord and we're faithful slaves, when we do his will, the will of the master, how does it work out for us? Blessed are those. Blessed are the meek. Right? They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who seek and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I can't go wrong. So while I'm called here to lay it all down for those in my life around me, the Master says, don't fear. I've got you. Now, does the master, like, show you the whole story as it unfolds? Does the master show you, like, this, you know, you could say to God, this looks perilous. What are you going to do? 
You know, on this side of the Red Sea, we look back at the Jews on the other side of the Red Sea and we're like, come on, Jews. Don't you know? You've seen ten plagues and now, you know, you got the Egyptians behind you and God's going to deliver you? Out of the whole millions of them, there was only one who had faith in that they were okay, which was Moses, I think. Well, at least Moses is the only one who speaks, but... But we look at them in in the pages and we say, come on. Almost as if saying, if we were there, we would have been like, yeah, I don't know. Egyptians are right on my tail. I don't care. God's going to deliver me, isn't he? Is he? Well, we know this. But here, when we faithfully, if I faithfully follow my master... I'll find the power, wisdom, and motivation to love as he has loved me. The love of God. Is it here? Of course it is. But it's in the word faith. More more so. The love of God is here in the New Testament. But more so, it is embedded in the word faith. Hence, God who inspires the New Testament is very smart and good to us. Because if the majority of the New Testament was love God and then we saw a little bit of love our neighbor, how would we live? Be like, oh, I I love God. But would my love of God translate itself into I lay down my life for my friends? Man, you can't get around that phrase, what does lay down my life mean? It means to give it all away. Give it all away. We tighten up. Our hearts immediately throw up walls. Give it away. What about what we're going to lose? Don't I need a safety net? Look, and I'm not only talking about finances. And by the way, this when God wills you to, and I know this is a caveat for some, I say, well, oh, thank you, Pastor. As long as I know it's only when God wills me to, and he never wills me to. You know? And it... Well, but it's true. I give it all away in my heart first. And then when the time comes for me to give away, meaning that person in front of me has a need that I can fulfill, I am overjoyed that what I have given away in my soul, which is everything, I finally get to give it away in reality. I give it away in my heart first. And that's why love is spontaneous. If someone needs something and I can give it, and, and it's, but it's sacrificial, it's going to hurt me to give it away, I don't sit there saying, well, hold on, hold on. I gotta run, let me run some numbers first. And I'm running and I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. Well, let's, let's make it money, right? All right, so I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking at my savings account. I'm like, how much do you need again? And I'm calculating, I'm calculating. Then I'm looking at my bills for next month or this year and I'm calculating, I'm calculating. And I got it all calculated out. And I hit the, you know, back in the old days, you had the, not me, I'm not that old, but you had the, the machine, <laughs> and it went, bing, you know, and you got your answer, and then you can say, well, this is how much I can give you. Bottom line. And God's in heaven saying, hmm, you did a lot of work there. Is that what I did for you? Did I do a bunch of calculating before I came to your rescue? Or did I come to every single lousy person on this planet and we're all lousy? Did I not? And we're like, yeah, yeah, Lord. 
And what I love, and God is so patient, He doesn't beat us down for this. He just says, look, I'm going to, let's, let's learn this again. And then when you fail at it, He's like, let's learn this again. But I am never going to stop teaching you how to love like I do. So, do we need a safety net? No. Uh, we have one. You know, the, as Jesus said, consider the sparrows, consider the lilies. We have a safety net. Well, uh, uh, I need to make sure that the people I give to respond properly. You know? What if they just take it away? They'll just take it and, you know, whatever. Take it. And, and what is that? It's legal, legal, legal. So God says to us, unworthy slave, do what I command you. And God says, look, anyone who is in my house who does my will will be blessed beyond what they could ever think or imagine. So agape for others is uncalculating, unmotivated, spontaneous for friends, for lovers, and enemies. This is way overemphasized in the New Testament over and over and over. Uh, for time, I, you know, I have other passages. Um, you, you'll see them in the notes, but love is the, um, the fulfillment of the law. And as Paul continues to you know, speak about how you know, all that we do for others is totally summed up in this word. So, like, in the Old Testament, there's lines and lines and lines in the law about how people are to treat one another with, you know, for instance, don't glean, don't uh, uh, harvest your whole field, but leave the edges of your field unharvested for the poor so that they can come and pick. Now, they're gleaners. Ruth, in the book of Ruth, was a gleaner. And God said, purposely, don't do that. And when you go through and knock your grapes off or your olives off, the ones that don't fall off the first time, leave them there. Those are for the poor. And then he goes on. Don't steal. Don't rob. Don't, uh, you know, don't do evil even to the stranger. There's plenty of lines in the law about the foreigner that's in your land. He says, treat them like one of your own. Bring them into your house. Be hospitable. On and on and on. That if everybody in the world lived this way, this place would be a paradise. But people don't. True. But then Jesus comes and says, you know how you know, you, you knew the command to love your neighbor, right? And they're like, yeah. I want you to love your enemies in the same way. People are like, why? Well, that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense what God did in this world. It doesn't make any sense that we're here. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. There's a bunch of sinners, you know, uh, who absolutely know that they're in union with the God Almighty and they have eternal life and will see God face to face someday for eternity. None of it makes sense. But yet all of it is quite real. So, towards others, agape, all others. Towards God, 
Yes, you love him. The manifestation of that love is your faith in him. When you start to fear, laying it down, giving it away, losing yourself, that's when faith comes in. Faith says, I belong to the master. Now, how many times did the, the Lord say to the disciples, why do you fear little children? You know, it's kind of like Peter walking on the water for the first few steps. And then he starts to look around and what is he? he sees the waves. He sees, oh my God, I'm walking on water. This I'm going to drown. And he starts and he sinks. And Jesus' response, why is your faith so little? It wouldn't be forever, not for him. All right, let's uh, pass out uh, the elements. We'll celebrate our Lord's Supper. And if you want, you turn with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, look with me at Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse fifteen. Just let it speak for itself. Uh, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. And there it is: the equation of the cross with who we are to be. Now, how in the world could we be like this? Uh, it's impossible. Uh, are we gods? That was the title of my message today. Has he made us gods so we can be like him? 
Certainly not. You know, just take a look at yourself. You're no God. But, um, you know, why can we do this? It's because of what we're celebrating today. There's a reason why we can no longer live for ourselves. The reality of what Christ has done on the cross some almost 2,000 years ago, the reality of that will be it's eternal. It's and always has been and always will be this this fact that God would become a man and give himself for his enemies, the manifestation of that in us. And I, to me personally, it's not just, well, he did it, we should do it. You know, like kind of like an obligation, although it is an obligation, but it's more so that, or, or I'd say at the same time, it's, almost mystical in that God is in us and He has changed us. We have the Holy Spirit within and we've been made new. And this new creature that we are, as we, even, as we battle this old creature who doesn't want to do it, but we have to see here, as he's going to say in a second, that we're made brand new in Christ and therefore we're made for this. If you're a believer, you've been designed for this by God, by His very hands. He's the potter and we're the clay. And yeah, and we're a whole, we want to hold back. But this is what Christ did. He made it so that we could be like Him. He died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, We recognize no one according to the flesh. See, that's calculating. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, at one time as an unbeliever, we looked at Christ in a calculating way, like all unbelievers do. But he says, yet now we know him in this way no longer. We know him as Savior, Lord, Creator. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What are the new things? There's a lot of them. Things plural. uh, But agape, love, is one of the major ones. It's a brand new thing for us. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ. I love this phrase. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Somehow, some way, that was God up on that cross. And we don't understand that. How does God die? He doesn't die. But that's the God-man. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now go tell everybody. And, you know, getting back to, well, we recognize no one according to the flesh because God gave us his love. When I go to tell everybody, I want to tell everybody. Not just those who are going to accept it, or I think are going to accept it. Not just those who I like or I have an easy time being a light to, I want to be a light to everybody because I don't recognize you or anybody according to the flesh. I see you as a recipient of God's reconciliation, if you will believe. 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we are. And so our beautiful Lord and Savior, the night before he died, he instituted this. He took a small portion of the Passover concerning just the bread and the cup, and he gave it to us. And he said the bread, first the bread. I receive from the Lord, as Paul writes, excuse me, I receive from the Lord that which I deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice of his body for our salvation. Let's eat bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It was in the cup that the Lord taught us that he would forgive all of our sins. And so, in remembrance of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for all that you have done on our behalf through Jesus Christ our Lord. How could we possibly comprehend the sacrifice that he has made and the pain of hanging there, of those nails, of the jeering and mocking that was around him, of the incredible beating that he received beforehand, never uttering a word, Because he was following your will. He did everything for your will. And by that, Father, we are so grateful that he is resurrected, alive, raised again, and uh, ascended and seated with you in heavenly places. Father, we are so eternally grateful. And we ask that our hearts would really grab hold of your love and to see it for what it is, which is epitomized in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our great Lord and Savior. To anyone listening who has not believed upon him, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And if you believe upon him, you will be saved. He did all the work. And for all those who have faith, not of works, how could we possibly work for it? And he has delivered you through his sacrifice. Believe in him. In Christ's name, amen.
Uh, we're, all right, we'll take our offering and then we'll we'll just close up. <laughs> That's funny. I got the both are pointing different directions. <laughs> oh, I forgot all about it, Alan. I forgot. I know it's it's my brain. That's all right. Keith, have a seat. <laughs> it's all set up, so let's do it. It's only a few minutes. Let's sing a final song, and then we'll take our offering, and, and then that'll be it. Sorry.
Well, you can't sneak off without an offering. <laughs> Let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to give and for the patience of our congregation. And uh, we bless, please bless this offering to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. It won't come on. There it is. Go ahead, Alan. You are dismissed. Now get.